Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for joining us this week on the podcast. Six shady tactics that we use to outgun the competition, and one tip you can use to avoid a price war. Let's get moving. Hello, everybody. Hey, Ian. This is the Lifestyle Business Podcast, your source of inspiration and commiseration for starting a business. Well, first, we're going to make a disclaimer that there is a fighting rooster outside of my window right now, and that he will probably be uh, injecting himself. There's also some singing ladies. It's crazy, so uh, please don't make fun of me too much. You're making my life sound pretty boring. I think uh, just me and my cat, you know, and he doesn't really have a lot to say tonight. (laughs) I am... Actually, uploading, we are live on Skype via a wireless fob, 3G fob, which is pretty cool. I never really used that technology in the States, and uh, that's allowed me to be uh, you know, working on some emails this morning while on bus and ferry. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so today, we've got a really cool topic some shady business tactics that we employ in order to beat our competition. How about that for a uh, provocative title? I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) Pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we're not necessarily shady guys, I wouldn't say. But, uh, you know, there's definitely some some gray area that we've we've kind of hung out in, uh, launching products and uh, just, just doing business. Real quick, speaking of gray area, I think one of the things that we've had a little bit of ambivalence about uh, is this term lifestyle business. And I think that that's something that we're, we're kind of working to articulate. I was watching a, another Gary Vee video. In fact, it's part of the video that I shared yesterday, and we should share more in the future. But I just it got me reflecting again on this idea of lifestyle business. And I think what, what, I, what I'm trying to do with this terminology is just try to make a separation between business for the sake of business, like business for the sake of profit per shareholder, and move that towards something like um, the first question before you start a business is you ask yourself what you want personally. Uh, You ask the lifestyle questions. You ask the what is my passion questions. And I think that that, to me, is the distinction that we're driving at here. Some people had had some questions um, you know, you guys work so hard. How can you call that lifestyle business? You know, and uh, so to anyone who's thinking that, I think my response is that you know what what Ian and I are working really hard for is is to create the kind of uh, life that we desire. And for us, that definitely means a much much bigger platform. Uh, much more investment opportunities, much more engagement opportunities. I can't imagine a version of myself where I don't want to want to work with great people every day trying to build something. Right. Yeah, and I think um, that's the same for me, obviously, as well. And I think, um, you know, lifestyle business, it, it kind of gets thrown around a lot. And I think that... Um, much as it is that and um, being able to have a bunch of guys and uh, girls around you that can help make your ideas um, part of part of life you know help help you 
create your visions into um, larger visions that can be shared with people. Speaking of platform, the podcast has just been really exciting lately. After every episode, whether good, bad, mediocre, I'm not sure, we're getting lots of emails. And uh, well, it's awesome. I, it's, it, to me, it's exciting to know that there's people uh, really engaging with the content and really interested in um, you know, what we have to bring to the table. So uh, I hope we can keep uh, bringing up our game. One more thing before we hop into the featured uh, segment here is uh, I saw an interview on Mixer G, that's Andrew Warner's site uh, earlier today, where an iPhone app developer was talking about burn rate and how he leveraged uh, living in Thailand as an opportunity for him to basically allow his company to survive longer. And this is this this idea right after I got off the you know microphone talking about how I think this is such a huge cultural moment uh, in terms of people. Uh, doing startups in developing countries or, you know, baselining their expenses. Here I see an interview uh, with a guy who took advantage of that in order to start his company. And it looks like his company is doing quite well now. Um, So I will link to that interview in the show notes here. And uh, we'll send you outbound over to Andrew's site, which is is a nice site as well. Good, good, good tip. Okay, so Ian, my question for you, uh, just first ground this uh, talk we're going to have about shady business tactics. What are we talking about with shady here? And, um, you know, what do we mean by shady, I guess, and why are we talking about it today? <laughs> okay, I think what we mean is um, not a lot of guys talk about this. Um, and, you know, I, I think just as a as a disclaimer, this, this isn't encouraging anybody to be um, dishonest. I think... Um, we are a hundred percent honest, you know, it's just, um, kind of what portion you choose to show people or what portion you choose to tell people. Um, but I, I think for the most part, we are super honest, um, transparent guys. And, uh, I think that's really the only way that I roll is, uh, just being honest with our customers a hundred percent, um, never cheating anybody, never, uh, stealing from anybody, anything like that. So I just want to, you know, let everybody know that's 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 kind of how we roll, um, and when we say shady, um, we just mean um, kind of getting things done in, in interesting ways that aren't necessarily, um, I guess, aren't aren't run of the mill ways to get things done. Um, and in some cases, uh, I, I wouldn't say illegal, but I would just say um, interesting. <laughs> well, I, if they were illegal, it wouldn't be wise for us to bring it up. But I think it's interesting. With when you talk about a lot of what what this stuff is, is it's like highly strategic angling or information gathering, so yes, to speak. That's a good way and, to And and a lot of that goes on. Like everybody does that kind of stuff in their business. But I, you're right to say that not a lot of people share that information. And so I think you know part of why I'm interested to have this conversation with you today is to say, like, look, we're willing to share the ways in which that, you know, we take advantage to, to get unique information that can be helpful in our business. And hopefully that'll inspire the community to sh- then share with us um, some tactics that are working for them. Um, and also just to make ourselves responsible. I mean, if somebody is listening today thinks that, um, you know, this is immoral and um, we shouldn't be acting this way, then it's possible that we, sh- we need to reevaluate some things. Sure. And I think the bottom line is that, you know, you've got to, You've got to figure out ways to get customers. You've got to figure out ways to sell products. And, mm. uh, you know, 
some of that you, you've just got to get creative with it. And I think in a lot of ways we just get creative with it. Um, sure. So yeah, I'm definitely open to reevaluating some of these things as well. Okay. Well, let's go into the, we've got five shady business tactics that we use to grow <laughs> our business. Okay. Ian, kick us off on the first one. Number one, the Alexa traffic rankings and, uh, um, the way that this is basically used um, for all you out there is the Alexa toolbar uh, you can install on your browser or you can just go to, I think it's alexa.com, uh, and you can see how much traffic your competitors are getting. Right. I think that compete.com has a similar service but doesn't rank sites. If you're in a smaller niche, it doesn't rank sites um, that aren't in like the top, you know, uh echelon of traffic getters. So the Alexa toolbar can can be helpful um, to compare how much traffic you have versus others in your niche because it actually gives you a number ranking. Um, so like you are the five millionth site in the world or whatever. And so you can use that to judge who's getting more traffic. And a cool little feature of this is um, when you type in, uh, say, your site or your competitor's site, you can see your Alexa traffic ranking number. Um, in the world, and then you can also see it um, by country. So you can tell if your competition, um, like so, for example, one of our competitors is developing in India, and you can see that because um, it has a huge traffic ranking in India, um, and ours has a larger traffic ranking in the Philippines. Um, so that'll give you an idea of where your competition is developing. Yeah, and I think it's difficult for people to hide that fact. So if you want to get an idea of how your competitors are investing in their websites, uh, you can you can get that idea uh, by uh, this geolocation traffic uh, analysis. And I think in, in the next couple of years, this is going to become, uh, this is going to become, you, you're not going to have to dig around for this information as much. It's going to be right there. People are, it's, it's, it's going to become very transparent. Number two point. Uh, tool that we use is called linkdiagnosis.com. This is a really fascinating one. Uh, if you're a, an SEO expert or an internet marketer, you might have a tool that does similar work. Basically, um, link diagnosis allows you to perform link espionage on your uh, competitors, and you can see every single website that is linking into their site. That's helpful for so many ways. I mean, we, we a lot of time. We started an e-commerce uh, site not too long ago based on a lot of information that came from link diagnosis, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you can find so much information. It, it opens up the storybook of their website. Who's linked to them? Why are they linked to them? Sometimes, a lot of times, what happens is people are personally linking to their websites, and they don't know at the time that people are going to be able to see that information. Um, and so there's all kinds of interesting information that comes out from that. Some of the most directly applicable thing is if you want to rank higher than your competitors, you need to, the number one way to do that is to get better links than them. And so if you're not at number one in Google, do a link diagnosis on the person who is, look where they're getting their links, and then develop a plan to get better links than them. That's basically what it comes down to. There's a similar application for um, analyzing. Uh, if, you're, if you've ever done Google uh, um, AdWords, which is Google's advertising 
um, platform, uh, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, there is a similar application to see what your competitors are um, bidding on. There's actually a lot of them. I've used SEM Rush in the past, and that can tell you exactly what your uh, competitors are bidding on um, in terms of key terms. So that's just another thing you can you can uh, look into. Very cool. Third point is the who is lookup. Now this is pretty cool. I'm sure um, we use this all the time. But uh, basically, you can see who owns domains, right? So you can see um, who your competition is. Basically, it'll put a name to it unless you hide it. And a lot of people don't hide it. So uh, you've actually got to pay extra, I think, um, when you sign up. Um, for a domain like through GoDaddy to hide your um, personal information or to hide you know the information that's tied to your your domain um, so that's something to consider um, if you guys want to keep um, if you guys want to keep secret you know I know when when you do the domain who is lookup um, it'll give you their address and sometimes I'm not sure if it's telephone number but it gives you some pretty robust information about who owns the site uh, there's also an upgrade service that some affiliate partner offers, which is that you can buy the report of all the sites that they own. You ever see that offer? I've actually never found it that valuable. I think it's like $80 for a report or something, but they'll tell you, you know, like if you look up um, your competitor and you pull up their screen, it'll say this guy owns 90 domains, for example. And if you pay them 80 bucks, then you can see the 90 domains. So I mean, if you had a, you know, if you really needed that information, uh, it's out there to get. So another on the converse side is like Ian was saying, protecting yourself from this kind of thing is important too. I um, mean, if you don't want people getting your address from your websites, make sure that when you register with GoDaddy, you pay your extra nine dollars a year to uh, get a private registration. Yeah, you can really find out a lot of information from some of these tools, and also just digging around on people's websites. I mean, you yeah. know, it's one of the easiest ways to figure out what's going on is to just go to the bottom of the page. A lot of times the uh, web developer will put a link there. Um, and you can just see, um, you can you can just kind of, uh, you know, I like to just kind of get a visual image for myself of, of our competition, where they spend money, who they're working with. Um, kind of gives right. me an idea of, of, of who we're up against. It's interesting. And, and let me just, uh, let me toss in a quick fourth tool uh, let me let me add an extra tool. We said we were going to do five, but uh, you just prompted my memory of something that we do quite a bit as well, which is the Wayback Machine. Yeah. And if anybody's ever been to archive.org, you can go there. And basically, um, this web application takes a photograph of you know all the relevant sites on the internet, uh, like every couple weeks or whatever, and then it it catalogs it. So you can actually go back, and you can do this with your website too, and see what it looked like, um, you know, 10 years ago. And you can do that with any popular website. And it's really fascinating because you can see what the copy was, what the value propositions were, how those things evolved over time, what and, the prices were. Yeah, that's that's what I would say the most important thing is, is, is pricing. Yeah. Um, so, you- so this, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, you don't want to like have analysis paralysis here, but it's... You know, this is actually, um, some people say like, oh, when you're an entrepreneur, like you get rid of your TV, right? And you kind of like always think about your business. And sometimes instead of like playing games, I'll do fun business kind of stuff. Like, oh, what's a new business I could start? Or what's a new niche we could get involved in? And it's kind of like your beer activities. Like if I crack a beer or something, this is kind of a good task to do while you're drinking a beer, winding down for the end of the day, just kind of poking around, getting a feel 
for this stuff. It's not like highly productive work, I'd say. You know? No, and I don't think um, I, I think it's a culmination of all these tools that really make them them valuable. You know, you're not gonna get information from the Wayback Machine and and, and probably start a business, but. Um, so anyways. Well, uh, let's move on to then uh, number five, um, or number four B, whatever you want to do. Um, selling products that don't exist. Huge. Um, this is huge, and it, it's um, it's it's something that is, I think, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur, it can it can be a sticking point. Uh, you can you know not want to do this, but I think that the upside potential, even for your market, like the ways in which you can serve your market better if you're selling products that don't exist are huge. Um, because you're basically then not investing and, and basically putting yourself out of business or wasting your time selling products that people don't want. Yeah, and there's a bunch of ways you can do this, you know. And the bottom line is um, focus groups suck, you know. getting up, getting Focus up, groups do suck. Getting, and I don't know who, who thinks they're a good idea, and please let me know. Um, if you've if you've held focus groups and they've really led to successful things, but you know, getting a bunch of people in a room and asking them if they'll buy a product, you know, say here's the product, uh, will you buy it? You know, nine times out of ten, everybody in the room says, yeah, that's a great product, you know. But especially then, if you served cookies. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> cookies and lemonade. But then actually, <laughs> actually taking those people's taking their money is a totally different situation, you know. So you say oh. okay. Um, will you buy this product? Everybody says yes. You say, okay, give me the money. You get a totally different answer. And so oh, my. that's why I Especially when they're sitting at home in front of a website. I mean, it's a whole different ball game. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing to get someone to do is to pull out that wallet and put the plastic into the website. So um, you want to test that. You want to make sure that your, your product, your value propositions can be able to inspire that. We've done that a bunch of different ways. I mean, some tactics you can do to employ this is um, if you're doing an information product, I know a lot of people who've sold an information product and then they just create it immediately. They used to do this with uh, infomercials is that if the infomercial went well, they would go like right to production and ship them direct from the factory in China. That's when you um, see, um, that's when you see uh, three to four week lead times, right? So exactly. a lot of guys are doing this. A lot of guys just aren't talking about it. So when it says back ordered or three to four week lead time, chances are they're taking your money and they're producing the product. Now, I cannot give you legal advice, but I can say there's something to look into here, which is there is some legal area with um, you're not technically allowed to sell something that you can't deliver in six weeks. So there's some kind of cutoff, and that's definitely something you want to consult your lawyer friends with before you do anything too crazy. Um, but yeah, you can definitely like put things on back order. Um, you know, one option is to like have a buy now. Uh, this is, I'm just going to mention this as just something interesting to maybe perhaps consider, but never take my advice on is to have a buy now button somewhere. Maybe you're not collecting their personal information yet. And then saying there's a technical error or you're on the list, like there's a mistake in the manufacturing. I think you don't want to, obviously you don't ever want to take someone's personal information if you're going to do it that way. So you would just want to take them into like a buying scenario. Um, 
So this is this is a little bit morally gray, but it really depends on like what your production capabilities are. It really depends on like what your intentions are, and it's an awesome, awesome way to get information about a market. Yeah, I mean the the thing here is to to get people as close as possible to purchasing, if not purchasing. I mean that's how you're really going to learn about um, whether your product's going to be successful with people. It's not it's not going to be by asking people. Uh, chances are. So yeah, this is this is probably one of the more shady points. It's, it's it can be dicey, and I feel I feel confident about the ways that we've done this in the past that it's been of great value um, to our customers and to our business, obviously. So um, I just think it, it may, you have to you have to cut your own way with this stuff and, and just be responsible about it. That's all. So number six, um, our final point is um, analytics backtracking. This is a pretty creepy one. <laughs> I don't know if it's gray, but it's pretty creepy. <laughs> so this is a this is kind of a technique that we that we kind of stumbled upon, um, and it doesn't work for everybody, especially um, in in extremely large markets. But if you have a small targeted um, niche market, it, it can work. So this is basically the way that it works: is um, you have Google Analytics set up on your website, which everybody should. Everybody should. And wonderful um, free software. Yes, and so basically you can go into Google Analytics and see who's been looking at your website and see what pages they've been on. Um, so if you've got 10 product pages and somebody sits on a product page for 20 minutes, chances are, unless they're your competition, they're really interested in buying that product. Um, so something that we've done is um, in the past is um, we've taken a look at, on a specific week, um, where our traffic is coming from and what they're looking at. So... Um, in one particular instance, I guess that I'll bring up, um, there was a heavy amount of traffic from a region in the Midwest. And so what we decided to do was um, send out an email blast to all of our customers in the Midwest, offering them offering them uh, a discount, basically. <laughs> and uh, we even called some of uh, some prospective customers in the Midwest in this in this region, right? And uh, it turned out to be successful. Um, we ended up getting some sales from it. I think the key to this tactic is um, making it seem random. That it's, I mean, and, it, and in a lot of ways, it is random. Google Analytics, there's privacy controls. Like, they're not giving you the address of these people. Uh, you have no idea whether it was, it was them or just a hobbyist. So what you're doing is using that as inspiration, saying, like, look, the Midwest is interested in our products. Well, we're interested in the Midwest. So, boom, like here's an offer. And I think that that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, you know, maybe we think that's creepy because it's like on a small scale. Like you were looking at like four or five users. But, you know, big companies do that all the time when there's like an explosion of traffic from Canada on Facebook. Like they're going to do Canada apps or something. So I think that it's not, it's not super creepy. No, it's not super it's good... creepy, but in in two years from now, it's not going to be creepy at all. That's the thing. Um, it's it might be a little bit creepy now, just because um, you know we're like going into our analytics account and and uh, it just seems very very targeted on our end, I guess. Um, but in in a couple years from now, it's not going to be creepy in the least bit. Um, people are going to be doing this. Well, that's an awesome list, man. I'm really excited about those six items. Uh, I hope. Uh... I hope the audience enjoys them and lets us know their feedback on some of those tactics. And man, I'd I'd love to hear some more creative stuff like that because those are some those are some pretty good stuff. Those those six items have made us a lot of money. 
I think that's yeah. the only way to say it. They made us a lot of money. So uh, one quick thing with um, these email blasts that you send out is if you have a good email blast program, like we use Infusionsoft, for example, uh, Infusionsoft will tell you who opened the emails. Um, and it'll actually log that in your system forevermore. So if I go to like client John Doe in the Midwest and I open up his profile, it'll say, this guy opened up this email blast on this date. And so I know that he read that content. And I'll know if he clicked through. And so that's kind of interesting as well. So that's another form of, of tracking uh, your prospects that can, be, that can be really helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's all about data, right? So it's all about um, really targeted um, data, basically, or, or, or targeting whatever you're selling to, to your, your customer uh, through data, right? Hey, before we sign off here, I just had one quick tip on the top of my head uh, that I'm just going to get out there and share because I don't think it's an episode's worth or anything. But something we've been struggling with a little bit lately is um, one of our product lines is essentially in a, in a price war scenario um, with our com- competition. And I think a lot of people are in this situation. And you've got to ask yourself, like, you know, you, what inspired me to think about this is you said, well, we sent them a discount. And you can't win like that. You can't build a business around offering better and cheaper and all the time especially if you're a small size business. I mean, if you're amazon.com, more power to you, but if you're if you're uh, if you're me, I mean, I, there's only so far I can go under the limbo bar. Right. And um, one tactic that we've been exploring is bundling our products in really unique ways so that they can't be compared. And it's interesting um, the creative ways in you can do this and it really uh, rewards people with creativity and market sensibility. So, you know, even if your product is just the same as your competitors, you know, you're both selling um, a flower pot or whatever, um, you could get like a, a, a 50 cent DVD produced that talks about flower arranging. And you could yes. send like a small swag gift or something interesting, inspiring, especially educational, helpful, something that can help them save money in the future. Not not a coupon, but like a buyer's guide for flowers. You yeah. know, they're going to save money then on flowers, and maybe they'll come back and buy more pots from you. Um, just something to think about um, if you ever find yourself in a price war scenario. Um, you know, thinking of creative ways to bundle your products so that they don't look like anything else out there. Yeah, it's a really good point, and it's uh, it's something it's something that only you can do. You know, so. So really take the initiative on that and and beat your beat your uh, competition through that. Awesome. And that brings me up. Uh, that brings me to a, another point that you just brought up or you just touched on, um, and that is uh, that direct mail is not dead. In in fact, I think it's an extremely <laughs> useful way to um, to connect with your customers. Oh my uh, gosh, I think well that my friend is an episode because. I, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk for 10 hours about direct mail, just off the top of my head. We use it so often. It is so effective. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's really a big part of my time is, is doing direct mail, to tell you the truth. And uh, yeah. I think we should share, share some of that information. Okay. Well, we'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> keep listening. Yeah, keep keep listening. Hey, man, thanks for calling me. I'm, I am in... Um, island resort and I don't even know where but I'm there's definitely like villagers outside of my hotel room right now banging on stuff so 
It's going to be awesome. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks. For- <laughs> what are you doing? You're in uh, San Diego, I presume. I am hanging out in San Diego, getting ready to go to the East Coast next week. Um, oh, wow. Make a couple stops over there. But nice. uh, for the most part, we're uh, banging it out in San Diego. Nice. Sitting in the corner office, petting your cat. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> my favorite <laughs> thing to do. Well, uh, I am Dan, and my co-host is Ian. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us. Always good to have you. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Get signed up and up to date on everything we're doing.